to the Web3 Prof Podcast. All right, good morning and good afternoon, everyone. I am here with Will Kassarin, who is the founder of Domus. Thanks for being with me here today, Will. Yeah, thanks for having me. Did I say your name right? Uh, yes. Okay, good. We're off to a good start. Will, um, you, uh, you've been in uh, the crypto space uh, for a while. Um, the early days, I'd love to hear about how you got into, into Bitcoin and, and what was the initial urge or interest that got you into the space? Yeah, I mean, I, I found Bitcoin, I think it was a, a Hacker News post in like 2010. I think it was around that time. And I'm like, oh, this seems cool. You know, you can send, you know, money over the internet. You haven't been able to do that before. Yeah, yeah, you could before with like PayPal, but yeah. this was kind of a new approach where it didn't have any central um, authority that was kind of governing it. Because there's there's been issues with PayPal and other payment providers where they can just freeze your account. So it's always been really interesting. It's like, wow, what if we can just send value without, you know, anyone in, in control? Um but at the time it was, I think it was like 30 cents when I first got into Bitcoin <laughs> and uh, it was just kind of like a toy. Like obviously no one valued it because it, it wasn't worth value. It wasn't worth anything. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, when it went from 30 cents to a dollar, I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. Went to a dollar and then went from $1 to $30. I'm like, whoa, maybe I should have bought it more at a dollar. Were you, were you holding Bitcoin at that time <laughs> for investment purposes or were you just playing around with it? No, it was based, I was giving it away. I would, I would like give a Bitcoin to all my friends and like, here's a Bitcoin. I kind of regret that now because all everyone I ever gave that Bitcoin to, they've lost it by now. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, I've never released, I've never used it as like an investment vehicle or anything. I'm not, I wasn't really into investing or anything like that. Yeah. It's mostly just, I just love the technology. So I could legitimately say I was in it for the technology, <laughs> even though it's become much somewhat of a meme now. Um, but yeah, so once it started, then it went from like th 30 bucks to like a hundred bucks. And I'm like, wait a minute, I need to start like, why, why do people value this? It was kind of confusing to me. I thought it was just a toy. And then I just went down that whole rabbit hole of what is money. Um, and you're like, wow. And then you realize like so much of our, like people just assume that our money has value, but it, you can't just take that at face value. right? There's was that an interest to you in the early days? Were you thinking, oh, I don't know if I trust the government or, or I don't know if I care about fiat or was it more just like, hey, I'm into computers and this is cool computer stuff. Yeah, I wasn't like a crazy libertarian. I feel like I'm slowly becoming more crazy libertarian <laughs> um, since Bitcoin. But uh, in the early days, I was pretty much just a computer nerd who liked the technology. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, a lot of people get it from the get in from the opposite approach where they they're they 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 like the money aspect and sound money and then they find Bitcoin and they're not technologists. And, they, and that's why they like Bitcoin. But I came in from the tech side. I like mm. it just because it was technologically very, very interesting to me. So. Wow. And so uh, were you doing that as a job at that time? Were you building on Bitcoin as a career? Um, people who are building on Bitcoin in like 2010, 2013 are like crazy. <laughs> it was like, it, it was wild, wild times. And people who had the balls to do that at that time was very impressed me. But no, so no, I was not, I was not working or building on, on Bitcoin, but I was trying to integrate Bitcoin into a lot of the um, places I was working at. Um, so around that time I was working at this record label called Monster Cat. And we were one of the first record labels in Vancouver or in the world that were selling uh, our music with Bitcoin, which was, which was pretty cool. This was in 2013 and then 2014, 2015, the price started going up more and more. And I sent out an email to about 600 of our artists. And I was like, you know, do you want to be paid in Bitcoin? Because this is actually like cheaper for us transit transaction wise to, to make a Bitcoin transaction than to make a, a large PayPal transaction. Um, and almost everyone said, no, it's just like, that's must be, that's a scam. It's like, yeah. but I'm pretty sure if they said yes at that point in time, they would all be like multimillionaires, all of artists, <laughs> but I'm just saying, just like throw that out there. Yeah, just, just sort of, <laughs> no, no judgment. No just judgment. saying I was right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is what it is. But, uh, yeah. And then, 
Yeah. So then I just, uh, I realized that, wow, we can actually start to integrate this technology into more aspects of, of everything of like selling things in general. Um, so that's when, once the lightning came out, came out in 2016, the lightning network, I started working on that full time. I quit my job at monster cat randomly at, at to my partner's dismay. She's like, she was like out, she was at, uh, in Mexico, like at partying and I, I like randomly quit my job and she came back. She's like, why you don't have a job? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm working on this new thing called lightning. And she's like, what are you talking about? It's like, you're talking, speaking nonsense. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So that was, I tried to build some lightning startups, but I realized that it's just way too early. No one, no one was ready for it yet. Mm -hmm. And I realized, yeah, I need to, I need to get more people excited about lightning. How do I do that? I'm like, well, what if we integrate it into a, a social network? And that's eventually what came to Domus is because I'm just trying to get more and more people exposed to this technology. Um, cause I think it's so cool. Right. And, and when you were working in, um, or playing around with Bitcoin in the early days, what was Bitcoin like in Vancouver specifically here? Or, or, or I'm assuming you were here. Yeah. So were you the only guy or was there a big community? What was it like? There was, there was probably like one of the very early Bitcoin communities that was ever, ever anywhere in the world, really. I think we had the first Bitcoin ATM mm -hmm. in Vancouver. Um, I remember going to a Bitcoin meetup at like, I think it must've been early, like 2013 or 2014 or something. Um, and then this is where I met this guy named Riku, who was another Bitcoiner who was here in Vancouver. I ended up hiring him for at MonsterCat and he was teaching me all this stuff about sound money and uh, libertarianism. I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. But yeah, there's a large, there was a, a decent group of people in, in Vancouver talking about Bitcoin at that time. So were you working in in decontrol? Was that a thing at that time? No, yeah, decontrol. Um, I, I never ever I've never been there, but it seems mostly they're exploring like kind of the, the more the non Bitcoin crypto stuff. And right. I've always just focused really on Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't remember it at the time, but it might've been. So can you lay a foundation of like, so what is Noster, mm. um, and explain that to us and what does that have to do with Bitcoin, if anything? Yeah. So counterintuitive, like a lot of people suspect that, you know, Noster is built on Bitcoin or something like that, but actually Noster is a completely different protocol. Um, it's a standard, it's, it's just a new, it's a new protocol, like in the same sense of like email is a protocol, the web is a protocol. It's just a, but it's a protocol for social networking or, and more. Um, so it's a, a way to build censorship resistant social networks that, you, that, are, that are controlled by the, the people who are in the network, not like some central institution. So a big issue right now on, on Twitter and Facebook is that they can unilaterally just remove you from the internet, remove your existence, destroy your social graph. So like all the followers you built up over time, like they have, they can just snap their fingers and, and de, de, uh, deperson you from the internet. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, Doster was this first attempt to say like, you know, no one should be allowed to do that. If you want to build up a social following online, then, um, then no one should be able to, you know, can just remove you from that. Cause, and that's pretty important because a lot of people, um, nowadays they build their business on top of their social, right. Of course. And then, and I've heard so many stories where they, Oh, I built my business on YouTube and then YouTube took me down and now I'm screwed. It's like, yeah. you know, why that shouldn't even be possible. Like that's not, that's not really fair. That's why people like run a website and you know, sell the stuff through websites. Because they have a little bit more autonomy on on their own website. Mm. Um, so Nostra gives you that for you know your social social sphere. So who is Nostra been built by a company or just a group of uh, programmers? How did this? How does this happen? It just started with a, a markdown document made made by this um, anonymous developer called Fiat Jeff. No one really, no one no one knows who he is. It's very much very similar to Satoshi. Okay, he's still alive. He's around and he's still interacting with the protocol, but some Brazilian guy, we don't really know, but we don't know his yeah. name or anything. Yeah. He uh, just put up this markdown document and I was like, oh, this is interesting. So I just read it in an afternoon. I'm like, oh, this is simple enough. Built a client on a weekend and, um, and just realized how simple it is to build on this thing and just build to get a, get a working client. So I think that's why it's kind of taken off recently is this, it's, it's built by a community of developers. Like there's probably thousands of developers working on this now. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, all 
it's kind of like a it's kind of like the the Linux Linux operating system. There's mm -hmm. lots of people working on it, but not necessarily of like one company directing it or anything. Yeah, and so so you saw kind of I guess the writing on the wall. There's an opportunity here to build something on Noster to build some kind of social media thing yeah. um, that you might be able to get traction with. And is that that's where Domus came from? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you know, Nostra initially marketed itself as as a, a censorship resistant social network, a way to build one of those. So not, naturally, it was that was the first application that I attempted to build, and that's what Domus was. So Domus was, Domus is a Nostra client for iOS, and it's just a way. It's very similar to Twitter, and you can use it like Twitter, but in uh, but no one can deplatform you, which is really important. Um, but the re the reason why I mentioned it was like that was one of the first use cases is that you can actually build other things on Nostra. You don't have to build a social network. You can build other tools. Um, someone built something similar to Substack where it's like long form articles. Um, and it all works the same way. It's like, if you want to write those articles and not be deplatformed, de you can do that. So it's more of like a information, um, dissemination protocol. Um, and how did you get traction on iOS? Cause that seems to be a, a bit of a challenge for some organizations. Oh, it's, it's, it's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I hate interacting with Apple and every, in every step because they're just, they're very, I mean, you know, they, they try to maintain a really high quality app store and that's why they're very, very strict on what you're allowed to put on it. So yeah, I was initially very surprised that I even got on the app store because I mean, when you got on the app store, it was a big deal. Like I remember, you know, is it maybe a year ago? Is that, is that about right? Yeah. It's February of this year. Okay. So, so yeah, less than a year ago. And when, when you, when you were successful with that, that was, that was big news, especially in the community of people who care about censorship resistant communication. Yeah, because a lot of people thought it wouldn't even be possible just due to the nature of of the application in the sense that, you know, there's a lot of rules on Apple Store saying like, well, you need to be able to like remove someone's account if they're being bad and they have to follow your terms of service. But just due to the nature of this protocol, I, I don't have the ability to censor people. I don't have the ability to remove people. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was initially surprised they even I even allowed it. And I'm, maybe they won't in the future, but for now it's it's allowed. So, so what? Yeah. So what happens then? What what if you get what if Domus gets deplatformed? Yeah, so that's a, that's a these, there's these certain choke points where you can kind of cut off people from Nostr. So obviously iOS users, if Apple decides that Nostr clients are not permitted, then then Apple users won't be able to use them. But you can still use it on a desktop. You can still use it on Android. I see. And all the people on all, all those other platforms can still interact with each other. <clears throat> um, so that's the really cool thing about this is that you can build many different clients, and it's all the same shared data, so everyone can still interact. Um, so even if you get deplatformed from iOS, you can still open up your Android phone, reconnect to your social graph, and you're still good to go. All the data is not on the device, it's on the network. So, And what if Domus becomes kind of the old thing and somebody creates a new social network on Noster? Can I take my following and transfer it over? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So if, if uh, someone builds a better social client than Domus, which some people are working on, like Primal is a really good one, probably my main competitor, we're all, but we're all friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they, have, they provide a different experience. They provide different algorithms. Um, and so if you, if you've been using Domus for a year and you want to go try primal, you can just put your key in primal and all your stuff's still there. So. And, um, so, uh, one of the major challenges of course, with any social network is you have to, you got to have this kind of mass adoption or else, um, you know, if few people are using it, it's not so fun. Uh, it has this positive network externality perspective that we need to understand. So how, how are you building kind of a user base when it's like this new social platform. Yeah. So I think this is where Nostra has a pretty unique advantage to actually potentially be able to compete with the larger big tech companies because, you know, why, what, why would anyone want to, you know, start up with a new app and build a new social graph on this new application? Well, people don't want to do that in a, in a standard like scenario because, 
you know, there's a chance where that, that platform will go away and it was like all a waste of time. But this is a, a new, this is a new idea where once you join, your stuff is just there forever in some sense. Um, you can always back up all of your posts you've ever done. You can always back up your social graph. Um, so it's actually, it's like, well, it's, if I invest my time into this network, um, maybe I'll have more long-term returns because I know I'll never get deplatformed mm. and I can build a following. Yeah. So maybe there's not many people right now, but, um, it's just, it's more stable over time. Yeah. And you know, once more and more people, people start realizing this and once, once more and more people start building new experiences, like if the, um, you know, maybe there's an Instagram, there's a TikTok, there's a, you know, Substack, and all of these things work together. Now you're creating, you're building a, it's like it's steamrolling like more and more and more. Mm. Um, so this is where I think where the network effects might actually like steamroll in that sense. What do you say to the people who are like, well, we need censorship because what about child pornography or what about all the bad things in the world that we need to get control of? Or, you know, maybe even not the things that are as bad as child pornography, but what about just people who are just a little bit racist? Like, shouldn't they be deplatformed? What do you say to them? Yeah. So, so I have a... I think people are thinking about this entirely wrong. I think moderation is good, but centralized moderation is bad. So this idea where you have one trust and safety team at Twitter and they decide what is true and what's false and they decide, they decide what's allowed and what's not allowed. It's the whole, the world doesn't really work like that. Like what, you know, some country might think it's allowed and some country might think it's um, not allowed. You know, it's mm -hmm. actually like subjective in a lot of different parts of the world. So on a decentralized network, you can actually start building different moderation schemes and different moderation uh, approaches and then you can subscribe to the approaches that you like that that fits for you um, and it creates more of a free market of moderation versus having this like top-down uh, moderation which is i feel like it's just not doesn't fit the world doesn't fit like um anyway so can you can you get so that's interesting i've never heard this before can yeah. you give us some examples on how that would play out yeah i mean um so for instance you know r right now if you join noster it's kind of like the wild west there's not much moderation at all so people who like that, it's like, great. It's like extreme free speech. You, get, you hear everything. Yeah. And then you'll also see the horrible stuff you don't want to see, right? Mm -hmm. That a lot of people wouldn't want to see. So you can imagine a situation where there's algorithms that, you know, can learn that you don't like certain things. Like you don't want to see porn in your feed. Yeah. So then the algorithm on your phone will just like automatically censor that from your feed. But okay. that's a choice that you're making um, either via the client you choose that's providing those features, or maybe it's a relay that's providing that filtering. Um, so you can join a certain relays that fit your moderation styles. Um, okay. And is this like you use terms like relays and things like that? These are technical terms that I don't think most people can really relate to. Right. Can can or is Dom is set up in a way that kind of the common person could set this these types of controls up? Yeah, that all, it all comes down to like the design of the app. Um, you got to make it as simple as possible so that it's intuitive for mm. regular people because there there are new concepts inside this protocol that 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 just don't exist in the centralized space. Like, you know, no one has to think about setting their relays in yeah. Twitter because there's only one relay. It's Twitter. Yeah. Uh, but in Nostra, you can have 10 different relays, which in a relay in Nostra are just different servers that you send the notes to. And that's what gives it its censorship resistance. So if one of those relays wants to censor me, they can take it down from their, their server, but it's still on nine of the other 10 relays. Mm. Um, so when I say relays, this is just what I'm, what I'm referring to as those all the servers, which gives uh, Nostra its censorship resistant properties. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is confusing. We've noticed this is confusing for our users and they're like, uh, which re relays do I choose? Like what? And then and it gets confusing. So a lot of, we're thinking maybe, maybe we'll just hide that for the most part and have some type of autopilot that does it for you. But for people who really want to configure it and can connect to their own relays, they can do so. So. Wow. And uh, do you have some type of monetization mechanism? How are you, how are you affording to do this really amazing <laughs> undertaking? 
Well, we're supported right now by um, by Grant. So Jack Doris, he's been a huge supporter of the of the protocol. Um, he right when he joined Nostra, he was like, "Oh, this is, reminds me of what Twitter was like at five thousand users, but better." So that was a huge boost to the to the network after he said that. I mean, there's there's not a bigger guy that you could try to get on board, could you? <laughs> that's a, that's incredible. Was no. that just like did that just happen? Like, did someone call him and be like, "Hey, man, like you got to check this out"? Somebody know him? So Jack was looking into funding like decentralized protocols on Twitter. So he, he asked a question on Twitter. He's like, "Hey, what other projects should I fund?" And and since he's like, since there's so many Bitcoiners in in who follow him, and he's a Bitcoiner. Everyone started uh, everyone started saying fun Nostra, fun Nostra, like and they started giving him links to Damas. And then one day, randomly, Jack messaged me. He DM'd me on Twitter. He's like, "How do I how do I fund you guys?" I'm like, uh. <laughs> "He's like, do you guys? He's like, do you guys have a um, a foundation?" I'm like, "No, we're just, like, we're just a markdown document on GitHub." Uh, he's like, "Okay, let me figure it out." And then he's just like, oh, uh, "He's like, okay, I'm gonna send you guys money." And he just sent like 15 Bitcoin to to Fiat Jaff. I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> Um, and then he ended up sending more to me later and then he, so he just, he's just a huge supporter and he just wants to see it succeed as well. So, uh, that, that helps, but you know, that's only going to work for a short time. Um, so we need to think about how to make this sustainable over, over a long time, which is why I've been integrating Bitcoin into, into the app. Cause I'm obviously I, I have the history of Bitcoin. I worked mm -hmm. on lightning. So it made sense to integrate like lightning into, into it. Um, cause, cause I've always liked the idea of in, instead of having a like button, you maybe you have like a, a button where you can click and send Bitcoin to people. <clears throat> so Damas has that now. Um, so, you know, one feature we had in the early days, which what, it was an optional thing you can turn on, which it says it, it, you can send a proportion of the, of the zap. We call them zaps with micro Bitcoin transactions. You can send a proportion, proportion of the zap to, um, to Domus to, as a, to support the development. Um, unfortunately, Apple forced us to remove that feature. So now it's first. So they're making it really hard <laughs> for us to do this sustainably. They really want us to use the Apple pay feature, which I'm like, right. I can't. <laughs> Obviously that's against what you believe. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like it also. Yeah, I don't know because it's just Bitcoin's way cooler. Like, why don't we just use Bitcoin for these things? Things because they it's so much easier. Right? Yeah. Uh, but obviously, when you're on Apple, you got to play by the rules. So that's why I'm building an Android version. <laughs> and do you think you'll have more success with with Android? Um, I think you know. I think so. The Android market is a much larger market overall. Um, so that might be just might be interesting to try to reach more people. Um, yeah. So I don't know if it'll be more successful than the iOS version, but I think it's important to have it. How many people do you have uh, working for you? So I, with the uh, OpenSats grant from Jack, um, I was able to hire one developer. So he's another Vancouver local who's he's really good. So he's helping on the iOS side, but it's just me and uh, him so far. Are you kidding? <laughs> no. <laughs> Is it two of you? It was, only, it was mostly just me for like until like a couple of months ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's nice to at least have some help, some help now. So. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That is remarkable. Okay, so um, so what does the future of um, of Domus look like? What are the next? You've kind of referenced a couple of features that you're hoping to to, um, to to move into. What where are you where are you guys moving next? What, what's the next step? Yeah, I mean, so social networking is is you know it's one cool use case, um, but the the real promise of this protocol is going to be showing um, the interconnectedness of all these different applications working together. Um, so. Once we have more applications such as like like Instagram and, and TikTok, I want to build more uh, productivity tools. Like think of like Slack or you know you know Outlook or you know all these tools that you use for business. Maybe these could all be re rebuilt on Noster. Um, so I feel like that'd be pretty interesting if there's like a Dama suite because I kind of want that for myself. Um, and just to show the power that it's it's not just social media. This thing is a very generic protocol for um, for uh, information dissemination. Mm. So, um, that's amazing. And um, as you um, as you continue to build 
Domus, do you see uh, competition with like Lens Protocol or other protocols that are built on, you know, Ethereum or or, or other, uh, I guess, blockchains as competition to you? Or how do you view that? Um, not so much the other blockchain ones like Lens or Farcaster, just because, you know, I don't think it's a good idea to build them on blockchains because blockchains are really only meant for transferring money. It's it's a really inefficient database for everything else. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, we're starting to see some really interesting integrations with ActivityPub. So you know, uh, uh, Facebook's threads, right, or the Instagram threads, they're built on. They're about to switch over to be building on um, uh, ActivityPub, which is like another protocol that's competing with Noster. And someone on Noster named Alex Gleason, he built a bridge from um, ActivityPub to Noster. So now, in theory, Threads will be able to will be able to talk to people on Threads with Noster. With so you'll be able to open up Domus and talk to people on Threads, and this is this is going to a much larger vision of these these protocols, which is, you know, once we have all these bridges, we can actually all talk together. It doesn't matter if they're using Farcast or Lens or Threads. Mm. We can all still talk to each other because it's all decentralized protocols that just are bridged to each other. So oh, wow. that's definitely a future I think it's going to happen. Yeah, amazing. Uh, what type of people are currently using um, using Domus? Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, you know, the early days it was mostly a lot of Bitcoiners, just because you know the protocol was built by a Bitcoiner, and yeah. I, I built the first popular client. I'm a Bitcoiner, so we have a lot of Bitcoin integration. We have I mean, Jeff Booth was really pushing this hard in in when you guys launched, and 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 I think still is an active user for you. Yeah, Jeff's been probably one of the more active users on the network, so he's a huge believer. So it's cool to have. Yeah, so just a lot of Bitcoiners like him. Um, but we want it to be for everyone. Um, we find there's a lot of people on the network who just haven't really been on social media just because they didn't feel like it was right for them or they didn't feel like being mm. just like, um, you know, cattle for big tech. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they feel like this is the first time they feel like they could actually use social media because it's like a freer version of what, they, what currently exists. So yeah. people like that. Yeah. And, um, one thing that I, th like you said in the beginning, there's seems to be some confusion that uh, Domus is built on Bitcoin. Um, so what is the draw with the Bitcoiners and Domus, uh, why do you see that there was such a connection there, especially in the early time? Yeah, I mean, just, um, probably because I added Zaps. <laughs> so Zaps was the spec I added to Nostr, which allows you to send Bitcoin via Lightning to people. So like that just for Bitcoiners is just like amazing to have a feature like that in a social media client, especially since um, on Twitter, since it was taken over by Elon and Elon seems to be more into Dogecoin and things like that. Mm. And people, so a lot, it makes a lot of the Bitcoiners uncomfortable be about being there. Um, yeah. You know, so they, now they have a place where they can go and like send Bitcoin to people and, and spread the word on Bitcoin. So I, th I think that's why a lot of Bitcoiners are there. Do you see that um, kind of the philosophy in which you're building this protocol on, sorry, which you're building Domus on is too far out of the spectrum of what most people really care about the idea that you know most people don't care that we're b being suppressed or they don't care that <clears throat> instagram might shut them down because they just posting pictures of their cat um <laughs> or, or they don't care that the trucker convoy was shut down by the government you know there's a lot of people that think that was a good thing <laughs> uh, do you think that that is a an inhibitor to you no, because like even if you don't care about freedom and you know sovereignty on in the digital world, you don't you can still get uh, take advantage of the features that Nostra provides. This idea of having your account shared between all these different apps is already pretty cool, and you you don't really have to care about censorship resistance or, or freedom to get in to to make use of that. Mm. Um, so I think it's just going to be we're just building on a solid foundation. The people who care about that foundation are, are ha happy it's there, but you don't need to think about it if you to get advantage of the other features yeah amazing are you um seeing uh, 
obviously being an early Bitcoiner is helpful to you. Are you seeing opportunities or are you speaking at Bitcoin conferences and, and promoting uh, the platform in those types of circles? Yeah, so the past year, I probably went to like eight different Bitcoin <laughs> conferences. Yeah. And actually one main stage was, which was interesting. So Bitcoin Amsterdam, I was able to speak on the main stage about Noster and, and, and people like um, Julian Assange's wife and, um, and, the, and, the, and the, yeah, or like uh, Stella, I think her name is Stella Assange. Or, yeah, so she was, she was putting up Domus on the main screen at, at, at Bitcoin Amsterdam. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> This is, this is crazy. Um, and oh yeah, Edward Snowden, obviously he's a, he's a huge user of Noster as well. So it's cool to have these people. And so just, I'm just, yeah, spreading the word at all the conferences and people are slowly starting to learn about it. And, uh, but I'm hoping to get to other conferences as well. I went to one in Spain, which is more about decentralized like internet stuff mm. uh, talking about Noster. So it's, it's bigger than Bitcoin. I, I want to probably go to more non-Bitcoin conferences. Next, uh, next year you throw around just the most outrageous names <laughs> like Julian Assange and yeah. you know no big deal he's just using the platform or you know or or Edward Snowden's wife he said Edward Snowden's wife or uh, Sanja's wife Sanja's wife and, and and Edward Snowden as well I mean goodness <laughs> sakes this is absolutely remarkable I'm like um, debugging Edward's like he is having relay issues and I'm like <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'll fix that for you. Well, you he gets your personal attention. <laughs> I guess like Jack was like, talk to Will because uh, he can help you with your tour relay issues. I'm like, okay, I'll help him. What is this? What does this feel like as a young man from Vancouver? You know, um, have an idea and to build something that people like Assange and Jack Dorsey and like that you're getting attention from people who are really important figures in society that are that have bought into the vision of something that you've created single-handedly it's remarkable what does that feel like <laughs> it's just kind of surreal because my partner always gives me hell because I, I have like a thousand side projects every weekend <laughs> and she's like okay finally she's like oh it's like this was just another side project oh great you're doing something something crazy so i think it just it's just one of the things that stuck and people are really interested in it and yeah, it, for me, it's just so surreal because I would have never expected this to be so in, in, get to see so many people excited about it. So it just it's very humbling. It makes me um, just like, yeah, just excited to work on it and keep building because people obviously care. So how much time do you spend working? Uh, just guess like I guess if I didn't have a kid, it would be 100 percent of the time. But no, <laughs> having a seven year old, um, you know, it's it definitely knocked it down to like 96 percent of my time. <laughs> I should probably spend more time with my kid. Actually, I've, this year has been insane for me just building stuff. Well, yeah, no yeah. kidding. That is absolutely remarkable. I mean, it's super exciting to see um, uh, to, to I mean, for me, it's, it's super exciting to chat with you because to see someone who's building something that's really shifting the landscape of social media, which is a polluted a polluted landscape full of peril and problems and um, and something that has caused a lot of social issues in society and that has allowed powerful people, whether they're centralized governments or companies, to control and dictate a lot of what we do and how we think. And um, I've got kids as well, the same age as you, and uh, and I worry for them what the future looks like. And I think about how can I keep them off of smartphones and devices and I can't and so but knowing that someone's out there is building something that could put them in an area where they can hear the truth where they can find out what the real news or information is without the some kind of centralized authority dictating what they should think I think is so powerful is that a driving force for you Absolutely. Um, what we saw with like the whole Twitter files on Twitter, like in some sense, what social media has become is just like information weapons that the governments are using on on their citizens, you know, and they're swaying elections. And 
Um, so we need to, we need to, you know, take back free speech, at least on the digital realm. That's where I'm, that's where I'm comfortable at is like yeah. online, obviously in meat space is a lot harder. So, mm. um, just be able to build tools that are, that empowers like freedom and individual sovereignty and just, and it's good. It's pretty, it's going to be pretty important. I think, um, in the future with elections, because now it's like, they can't, they can't censor certain people if they, if they don't like their opinion, if it goes against the, you know, the, the, the mainstream opinion. So what, what's the um, motivation with, Jack Dorsey, do you have any insight as to, you know, he built Twitter and and then he's kind of going back now into the same space, looking back regretfully, maybe thinking, oh, I shouldn't have done it that way. You think that's part of it? Well, Jack um, invited me to stay at his house for like two weeks. And just, <laughs> <laughs> so I got to I got to talk to him a lot about like, you know, what what's motivating him and all this stuff. And he just really regrets. He, the biggest thing was he said was making it a company and the minute he did that and he became beholden to shareholders, he just lost control. And he, and he, and he realized that, um, if you want to do this right, it has to be an open decentralized network. Um, so yeah, I think he, he definitely regrets the the way that it went. And he just, to me, he just told me that he, like, he lost control of, of the ship in some sense. Right. So, wow. Yeah. That is, that is absolutely remarkable. Um, and what's Jack's house like? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's a joke. You don't need to answer that. It's ridiculously, it's nice. <laughs> I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Um, that's pretty, that's pretty cool um, to hear from someone who, you know, really it was part of forming social media as we know it today and, and, and holds some responsibility as to, to how things go. And, and it's interesting to kind of hear that, that perspective. Um, so uh, what's, what do you view as some of the biggest social challenges that we're going to face in the future that you are looking to address? Um, or what's the, is freedom of speech the most important thing to you? Is censorship the most important thing? Like what is the, the big social issue you're like, I'm going to try to make a dent. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I never really thought about, about that in, in that aspect because I'm just trying to build the best tool and the best tools for like free speech online and it's like, like, what are the long-term implications of that? I'm not really sure. Like, will people adopt that and embrace mm. it or people just ignore it? Um, I hope people will see that like, wow, this is a valuable tool right. and, and adopt it. And, and hopefully that will have a positive impact on the world. But yeah, but my main focus is just building the best tool and hopefully then the results of that will fall from that. But I don't really, I wouldn't say it like it motivates me as like my main motivator. I'm, in some sense it, it is my main motivator, but I don't know. I just think it's really cool tech. <laughs> I love that. Uh, do you believe in anything other than Bitcoin as far as a cryptocurrency um, perspective? Or are you in, in that sense a Bitcoin maxi? Uh, I would definitely say I'm a Bitcoin maxi just because I, I only have so much time in the day. And I just and I realized that we have one shot at fixing the money in the world. And, and, and just and, and just going back and seeing what all the, the scams that went, went happened in, in like 2016, 2017. It made me I, and I saw so many of my friends losing their money and and just getting scammed and I just so to, for me it's just like I just want to focus on Bitcoin because I think this is our chance to fix the money and everything else to me is kind of like a distraction so yeah in that sense I'm a Bitcoin maxi um so yeah <laughs> uh, when we and when you say you saw friends losing money this is like quadruta CX collapsing or not collapsing being rugged that type of stuff or more just people getting into altcoin trading oh and, I see um and then just like you really really high risk stuff where I'm like just like just buy Bitcoin hold it you don't need to try to leverage stuff and um, so yeah, I'm very much a purist and simplest. I don't like, uh, I'm sure there's some really good ideas in that space. It's just, I'm, I don't really focus on them. Yeah. I mean, you seem very laser focused in your approach, which I think has been obviously r related to your success is that you have a vision of, 
of what you want to do and, and you're obviously very good at focusing on that and and building that if i was more into trading like collectibles and stuff i'm sure i'd be into the nfts and things like that <laughs> but I, I was never really and it was someone who was interested in collecting things. you didn't have hockey cards and pokemon no, cards and no yeah. but I, I think I, I and i don't think bitcoin obviously doesn't serve the you know those set use cases um so yeah maybe that's why i've never really been into it <laughs> I've got one last question for you. Did having a child change the way or, or or shift in, in how you view the company that you're building? The biggest thing for having a kid is just realizing that your time is so short mm. <laughs> and, uh, it, it's definitely, um, made me really much more focused. Um, cause I realized that I only, I don't have much, that much time on this, on this earth mm -hmm. and the time, and I want to spend more time with my kid and things like that. So I think before I, I feel like I just kind of wasted a lot of time as a child, as in my teens and in my early twenties, but ever having, ever since having a kid, I've just been laser focused and just making sure I'm very efficient with my time so I can spend more time with my kid. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, this has been such a fascinating conversation. You are one of the most interesting people I think I've ever met. I love, um, I love, I've only met five people, so <laughs> that's not that big of a compliment. Um, they, I mean, what you're doing is brilliant and I love it. I think it's just absolutely fascinating to hear your perspective on what you're building. Your laser focus is something to be admired and respected. Um, you've got a fabulous reputation in this city for, um, for doing what you're doing. And so I, at least I hope you leave here being encouraged because what you're doing is pretty awesome. And I really appreciate you coming in and, and spending a bit of time with me today. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks.